Hey everyone, Ron here, and I wanted to take a quick moment first to apologize for getting this episode out a little bit late. We encountered some additional difficulties with this week's episode, and I think part of it had to do with it being from an international guest. We basically noticed some differences with some of the timing. So as you listen back, you may hear some more interruptions with each other than normal. And these honestly weren't happening during the time of recording, so it made editing a little bit more challenging, but... We had a wonderful time with our guest, and I'm really excited. It had been a while for me since I've talked to Paul, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. And with that, we'll kick things off. So enjoy this new episode of Between Two Studs. Thank you. everyone and welcome to Between Two Studs. I'm Alex Studd. And I'm Ron Studd. And Ron, I think we're here episode eight. Yeah, we've, we've made it all the way to episode eight. And this is cool because this is our first episode where we actually have an international guest who's going to be coming on today. Well, and we didn't just go, you know, across the pond to, to Europe or something. We went all the way to Asia, actually pretty much as far away from the East Coast as you can hum- humanly get while still being on Earth. We went to Singapore. That we did. And this next guest that we're bringing on is, is an awesome friend and an awesome person in general who's got an amazing, amazing amount of just career experience and just in general, just experiences in general, and also has an awesome sense of humor. We're really excited to have him on. And with that, let's get Paul Pistori on. Oh, hey, gee, Paul. I'm blushing now. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. We're we're happy to have you on between two studs. So, Paul, we're going to start off with what we do for all of our guests. We do a mm-hmm. guest kind of quick fire round to kind of get to mm-hmm. know you and to oh. introduce you to all of our listeners. So, we'll start things off with, "How do you know me? How do I know you? Let me count the ways." Um, I actually, well, we met when uh, you came over. When you were living in Singapore for a while, I was working for a company called Odex doing voiceover for anime and uh, hired you on. And from that, we formed a fast friendship and had many adventures through Singapore together. That's the show we did. Yeah. Yeah. And tell us, too, a little bit about yourself and just areas of interest. Oh, my goodness. Areas of interest. A little bit about myself. Uh, I'm a crazy nut who's been in show business most of my life. I've worked in film and television on various things. Do you, do you want credits? This is a fast fire round, right? So you don't want me to go too deep. Yeah, you can <laughs> give us the high level, uh, just some of the major. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've been an animatronics technician and puppeteer for since the early 90s. I've worked on movies like Batman Returns, Alien Resurrection, Men in Black 2, a whole bunch of low-budget stuff with clever names like Rottweiler and Sabretooth really bad don't bother watching them and a lot of other stuff in between i actually during the big turnover of everything going to cgi i started moving into voiceover work which i started in back when i was a puppeteer at uh, saban i was uh furbus on the masked writers show and i was uh, a few monsters on power rangers uh voice wise and so i got some voiceover background and uh so everything was being replaced by cgi and I needed to find other work, and I got an opportunity out here in Singapore, which I thought would last me a, a year or two, and I've now been here for 16 years. 
that's the the short version. And <laughs> listen, I know you're a half a day ahead of us, so it's Sunday morning. Yes. We're recording this. Yes. But, but it's a question we have to ask all of our guests. What are you currently mm. drinking right now? What am I drinking? Water right now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I'll have a nice... Because mm. it's, it's only... It's only 10.50 in the morning there, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's still morning here. <laughs> I'm not a big drinker, but you know what I did discover? Uh, there's a uh, in, in my building, I, my, my company, uh, Core Crew Effects, where uh, we, we build puppets and that sort of thing. But we uh, just down the hall from us is a liquor company, and they specialize in Ron Abuelo rum. But yeah, I love the Ronabuelo rum. If I'm if I'm gonna drink, um, I think rum would probably be my my favorite. There you go. I'm pretty fond of a decent whiskey. Well, yeah. if I lived one degree north of the equator, I'd probably be drinking a lot of rum too. So right, right. It's the way it ought to be. Yeah. Paul, final question of yes. the fire round. Wait, yes. before we get to that, Alex, we need to know what you're drinking. Oh, of course. What am I what doing? What are you drinking? You know, I am just drinking uh, – this is kind of boring, but I'm just drinking some Cab right now. I uh, Saturday evening, just wanted to have a glass of red. So nothing too exciting, um, but it is certainly doing the trick uh, after a long drive. <laughs> did 11 hours Very driving. Strange. Yeah, did 11-hour drive from the East Coast to Chicago. I'm back home. Uh, so I'm unwinding for the night. Ron, what about yourself? What are you doing down in Georgia? I'm having a Knob Creek single barrel, and uh, it is pretty tasty. That sounds lovely. Yeah. Great part with uh, single barrel stuff is you never know what you're going to get. And then even if it's amazing, probably can <laughs> never get it again if you wanted. <laughs> now, Paul, the final question of, of our fire round, and this is going to be particularly yeah. interesting for you because you have been a part of so much art in the form of mm. cinema in your career. Yeah. But we always ask our guests to pick any type of art, whether it is a song or a movie or a book or a painting, can be anything. But tell us mm -hmm. something that speaks to you, represents you, uh, and tell us about it and why. Wow. Can I pick an artist? Would that be okay with you? I'm, yeah. Who, who really has always spoken to me is Vincent van Gogh. I have seen his work when I was 14. I went to uh, his museum. He had an exhibit up in uh, San Francisco, at, I believe it was at MoMA. And uh, we took a trip up there in my school. And I just fell in love with his work. And I, I guess there was something so compelling about the tragic life and all that. But his work, to this day, uh, a few years ago, we were in Paris. And I, and I went to uh, Moustorset and uh, got to stand there and stare at some wonderful Van Gogh work. And I've also very much fallen in love with Monet as far as paintings go. Uh, film, I guess if I were going to pick a fam favorite movie, which is difficult because I like different movies, different genres, but I still think the original Blade Runner just makes me feel different than most films do. Wow. Uh, I guess, I guess that makes me a bit dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. It's funny, uh, Paul, because you're our, is it our sixth guest, Ron? And yet you, we, you're the second guest to have said Van Gogh. So I don't, right. I don't know what that says about our guests. Either Van Gogh is really, really special, or there is something about the people Ron and I know uh, that they have some sort of fascination with 
in my mind, a, a kind of a very dark artist, right? He had a very yeah. dark life. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's the whole the whole struggling against being an artist and, and being recognized and never feeling like you quite achieved what you wanted to. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, no, and that was actually just last week's guest actually um, picked Van Gogh. And it was the mm. sadness will last forever was his favorite. Mm. So, and I had to look that mm. up and I was very surprised. I was like, Ooh, that's a very unique painting, but I could certainly see too, where it's very moving too. Yeah. There's uh, something very, very deep and, and, and moving about his, about his work, especially when you see it in real life. Of mm. course, what drove me crazy in Moustorset, I'm standing and I'm just, I'm locking eyes with a, with a Van Gogh, um, of uh, self-portrait and he did he did many in his in his career but i'm staying here looking at it and and people kept jumping in like selfieing in front of it and mm -hmm. I, I wanted i wanted to hit people <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing you're not yeah. improving this artwork by putting your dumb face in front of it no but but, but yeah it's kind of but it, so there's a bit of a mix there but yeah it puts you in a, puts you in a very special kind of a, a place just to stare into those eyes Thank you so much. You got us. You got us through the guest fire round, and you did a great wow. job. Yeah, you made it. So, did I win? <laughs> well, yes. If you we did had win. a grand prize, oh. which we don't, you would absolutely have won, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> but now we're going to the bonus round, and we're getting into oh, the the meat and uh, potatoes of your career and your interests. And, uh, you know, actually, Paul, I have to, you know, no, I have to ask because Ron, you just said meat and potatoes and, and I have to ask Paul, does that expression carry any weight in Singapore? Like to me, meat and potatoes, it's like, yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty. Does that, yeah. does that actually like carry, like I, I, people say like rice and chicken, like the, you know what I mean? <laughs> No, no. Yeah, there is not a there's not a, a version of that that I know of in Singapore. You know, let's get down to it, I guess, would be the main because they're, you know, the the English here is very kind of British, like British based, I guess, would be the way. Like if you hear an expression, it's usually either either it's come from Malaysia or somewhere locally or it'll be something with with a bit of a British tang to it. So mm. yeah, it's. Uh, I think meat and potatoes wouldn't mean much to. Well, that's that's <laughs> that's what I was thinking, and it's funny. Um, you know, to ruin for the listeners, we do a kind of a prep call uh, before we start recording, and we also had mentioned bread and butter. And I'm curious, yeah. like, does bread and butter like I like I think that's like a French thing, right? Does that carry any weight in Singapore? Does anyone know what that means? Yeah, that, that one I think would work because they do use that in England. So I guess, you know, because Singapore was a, was a British colony for many, many years. I, I, I kind of giggle because I have a few Singaporean friends. They go, we speak British English. Like, no, you really don't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but they like to think they do. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, because we got a bit of a pigeon, you know, we call Singlish here. That's uh, it's, its own thing. But, uh, yeah, I, th I think bread and butter, actually, I think everybody would know what I meant if I said it's your bread and butter. They would get that. Actually, with that, already kind of giving a little bit of background with Singapore, sure. with you being our first international guest, tell us about how mm -hmm. Singapore is handling COVID has, and how has your life changed with it? Oh, wow. Okay. Well, first of all, I got to say Singapore at the beginning handled it quite well. I mean, the, the, the lockdowns were quick and, and uh, you know, there, there is a mask mandate here. You do not break. 
uh, I was just, we were out of park the other day and there was a bike rental shop and it said, uh, I had a sign up front said $1 mask or $300 fine, your choice. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, they, the, the lockdown is handled well, except we have a lot of foreign workers who live in these uh, uh, barracks, uh, you know, for various, you know, they're, they're constantly building uh, condos and skyscrapers here and, and they hire out of Bangladesh and other areas. And they had a terrible breakout for a while there. But honestly, they, they pulled it under control very quickly and they've already started distributing vaccines uh, to the elderly. Uh, the COVID handling here has really been strong. Uh, to give you an idea, I have since since the lockdown, I've been able to get my hair cut at least twice. <laughs> so, you know, I, I, can, I can get a haircut. I was thinking of that the other day. I have so many friends going, I can't get a haircut. It's like, well, we can because we, you know, we got we took it seriously from the beginning and didn't mess around. Of course, you know, Singapore actually just just before I moved here and just after I moved here, we're hit both by the uh, H1N1 or no, the bird mm -hmm. flu and then the swine flu, H1N1 and the other. I forget the official names for those. Yeah, but uh, they'd already been through that and already handled it quite well. So the the COVID H one N one and SARS, handled. yeah, SARS. Thank you. That was the yep. other one. Yeah, it was handled uh, handled in a very similar way, only only much more strictly. Uh, how did that affect me directly? I'll tell you, the lockdown was a bit of a shock because I I have a company who builds things for theme parks and for film and television and and that sort of thing and live shows, and that pretty much just dried up in a day. Luckily for us, we had just uh, gotten our first payments on two contracts to get started, but we're still waiting to finish those those projects. I go in uh, part-time at my shop uh, to work, but I decided that if things were going to go like this, I better get busy. So I started writing, uh, started developing projects that I've been wanting to do for a while, kind of getting into what can I do if I do end up having to work from home. And I've been looking into a lot of that sort of stuff. So I've, I've written and worked on a, a series, which I'm not allowed. I'm under an NDA. I can't say what the show is, but I did some writing on a series. And then I've, uh, I started my novel. I've written some children's books uh, and just trying to get things sold. Uh, linked up with an old friend uh, from a production company. And, and so we started putting some of this stuff together. Uh, so, yeah, just it, it's been a big change, but it's also kind of, put me into the next phase of where I'm going to go with my career. But I really do enjoy writing and, and, and creating and producing is kind of where I'm kind of moving. I mean, I've been building props and puppets for what could grief 40 years almost. Wow. And uh, I just think, I don't, I don't, I think I may have explored that road as gone as far down that rabbit hole as I can. So the COVID thing was a big change. Uh, it's it's made us discover Trisha is my my partner and and the love of my life and we actually get along really well <laughs> so that's good we sit in the same office every day together in our in our house and and work side by side. Well, I'll say this: of everything you said, it sounded very interesting. The part that stuck out, Paul, you've gotten your own, you've gotten haircuts. My wife's been cutting my hair for the last year, so big kudos right? on that one. My my hair, I mean, she does she does her, you know, she does her best. She's getting better, um, but thankfully, I hadn't I didn't have to leave the house for a long time. Yeah. But, but you know, I guess a free haircut's a free haircut. Free haircuts. Free I mean, haircut, just. Yeah. Just to kind of offer another perspective, though, I'm in Georgia and we didn't take it seriously to begin with. And I think mm -hmm. I've got my fourth haircut this past weekend. So, yeah, yeah, that's for not taking it seriously. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I took it very seriously and I can legitimately get a haircut without risking my life. <laughs>
Well, there, there's something to be said about that. I can't say the same with my haircuts. <laughs> well, you know, it's it's interesting, Paul. I'll be curious your your quick take on this, especially as someone who's lived, I think you said, in Singapore 16 years now. You know, I think in the States, I think this idea of wearing masks is such a new foreign concept. I mean, I remember, and Ron, I'm sure, same thing. Like, for years, you know, we've, we'd get on an airplane, international flight, and you'd see people, um, usually Asian descent, who would be mm-hmm. wearing masks. And I, I don't know, yeah. I always thought as a, as a young person, and I guess maybe I was naive, I always thought that was kind of peculiar and strange. But of course, I think you'd mentioned this earlier, H1N1 and SARS, these were things that people in Asia experienced 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I'm very interested in what the future holds for Americans uh, in Western yeah. society, will we start treating wearing masks as a much more acceptable behavior during non-pandemic times when one of us is yeah. feeling sick? Yeah, it's it saved. Uh, yeah, since I've been here, uh, Singapore not as heavy as like Japan or somewhere, but yeah, Singapore, you'll often see people walking around with a mask on. It's not a big deal. You get used to it very quickly. And, you know, I've been wearing one now, you know, since since this whole thing started. Uh, in fact, even before that, uh, I started wearing them on flights because, you know, airplanes are just filthy. <laughs> and uh, and I just I started wearing them on flights, and it also helps because uh, you're, you know, rebreathing a little bit of your own air. Uh, does help keep your sinuses moist and that sort of thing. It's actually more comfortable in some ways than not wearing one. And this whole thing about I can't breathe with a mask is all just nonsense. If you can't breathe while wearing a mask, then surgeons would be passing out all the time. You know, <laughs> it's just... You know, it, it's just it's just nonsense. It's just people making trouble for nothing. And you know, they they say, oh, you know, children get shot up in schools. Well, they got to buckle down and just you know deal with these are the realities. But heaven forbid, I should put a piece of fabric over my face. You know, so uh, I the the that that kind of uh, dichotomy just really gets under my skin. Yeah. Well, we're gonna take a quick break, and then okay. we'll be right back. Are you enjoying Between Two Studs? If so, be sure to check out our Instagram page, Between Two Studs, all one word, on Instagram. There you can find the latest and greatest updates with all of our new episodes. Check it out. And welcome back to Between Two Studs. Paul, you've had a career that has spanned so many different entertainment mediums and genres. I know you kind of alluded to it earlier. How did you get started? Uh, And what were some of those pivotal points between each different type of work that you've done? Wow. Uh, Let's see if I can do this without being an hour and a half. All the way through, like, primary to to high school, uh, I was playing guitar, and I wanted to be a guitar player when I grew up. In my, I think it was senior year of high school, I started doing magic shows. I started doing shows, and and I really enjoyed it, and I started building my own stuff. And my stepfather uh, back then had a shop where he had all these different tools. He used to actually sharpen tools for, it was like a sideline and fix lawnmowers and stuff. Taught me a lot about engines and things. But so I was working in shop one day and I was building a, a prop and I stuck a chisel through two of my Ooh. fingers and severed a bunch of nerves, which was not wise when you want to play guitar for a living. And uh, so I, I lost feeling in the tip of my little finger and, and the ring finger on my left hand. And that kind of put an end to the idea of pursuing a guitar career. 
I continued doing magic, and through magic, I discovered that I actually had this kind of knack for creating like life on stage, you know, like things on stage, you know, making things look magical or whatever. And I started getting asked by the local. This is when I was living in. By this time, I was living in Monterey. I uh, started getting asked by the local theater companies, oh, can you make Pippin disappear? You can do that, or can you do this? That led to me joining a theatrical company, which was also a school, and that led to me doing more building, and I end, ended up moving down to Los Angeles. Gosh, it's just so many bounces, so many left turns in, in my life, and so many so many odd instances of things just kind of working out the way they did. Pushed me into, I started doing puppets, and then I started doing special effects from puppets, and you know, my background in mechanics and, and that sort of thing really propelled me forward in that. And so I made that my career for many, many years. The voiceover thing actually came through the puppetry. I was doing uh, voices for puppets for a couple of different TV shows. And then I would go in the booth and, you know, re-record lines or do some voiceover. And they say, hey, do you want to do another character? And I, oh, yeah, sure. So I started studying. And it, between each one of these, I studied improv. I studied musical theater. I studied acting. I studied singing. So it, it all started to come together, and that's how I ended up doing these things. The Kind of the pinnacle of all that was I was on the all-new Captain Kangaroo TV series as Mr. Moose. So I was puppeteering and singing and doing children's educational programming, which are, all kind of came together with all the things I've been doing. Is that that's kind of the short version? I could do like an hour and a half on that. So, but yeah, I've kind of bounced around for a lot of years. And the whole thing of ending up in Singapore was because I think I mentioned earlier that you know CGI was replacing everything that we did. In fact, the first movie that I lost to CGI was I was scheduled to work on Jurassic Park as a as a puppeteer and animatronics technician. And they cut. They were we were like thirty five of us, and there was you know we were going to be doing a lot more animatronics in the show. And then Spielberg pops into Stan Winston's one day and goes, "Hey, look at all this great stuff from computer graphics that we can do. Let's let's do it all like this, and we'll just do some of the stuff." And we went, "Well, a bunch oh. of us lost our jobs that day." Yeah, and that was much later. I, I was uh, talking to a friend of mine who I worked with on Batman Returns, Andy Schoenberg, who's an amazing artist and a special effects artist for decades and decades. He was one of the leads on Batman Returns, was working at Rick Baker's and they decided to go see Jurassic Park. And Rick walked out and said, well, guys, you've just seen the end of our careers. And uh, so that's kind of how that happened. So I ended up going into voiceover more full-time and writing. And then uh, weirdly, I bounced around in that for a while and ended up getting back into practical effects because they're becoming yeah. a thing again. <laughs> so <laughs> it's weird. It's a, a long, convoluted story. You know, it's interesting <laughs> what you mentioned with the way that the industry's kind of been going. And there really has been a recent resurgence in practical mm -hmm. effects and puppetry. And I'm thinking like mm -hmm. specifically of like yeah. The Mandalorian. I'm not sure if you've been watching that, but great yeah. show. What would you yeah, attribute that kind of shift going back to? Or, and what are your thoughts on that? It's, it's what I've always been saying is there's a certain, in, in certain times, I think there's definitely a place for CGI, and I think some of it can be quite compelling, and it's gotten so good. However, there are times that people just want to see something alive, something that you can sense it. When you watch a, when you watch a movie, you can sense if it's a real thing or not. And I think people are becoming more sophisticated. And of course, now with the internet, we can, we can go and look up anything. We can know how everything's done. And I think there's a certain, I don't know, honesty about seeing, you know, like that baby baby Yoda, Grogu, uh, that character, 
really took over because of the of the immediacy yeah. of it actually being there. I think you you sense that, and and I think that's what what really won people over. But it's funny. I've been fighting it my whole career. Is that people look at ooh puppets? I don't like puppets. Like, do you like the Muppets? Yeah. Do you like Sesame Street? Yeah. Okay, that's for kids. All right, fine. Did you particularly like the T Rex in uh, uh, Jurassic Park? You know, did you enjoy things? You know, I list probably a dozen different characters that people don't know are well, puppets. Hey, Paul, kind of switching gears. Obviously, very timely uh, with this mm. weekend that we're recording this uh, in the states. I understand you've had experience working on Super Bowl commercials. What was that like? Well, the thing is, you work on a Super Bowl commercial, quote, quote. First of all, it's a commercial as far as we're concerned. Uh, we know it's going to probably be on the Super Bowl. But when we were working yes. on it, I think you're thinking of the Texaco commercial that we did, right? Height of my career, I puppeteered a gas pump. <laughs> but it, it, there's bigger budgets, and, you know, you're, 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 doing, you know, you're doing things on a bigger budget. But, I, you know, I spent the night in LA laying underneath a uh, gas tanker uh, puppeteering a, a gas pump. But it was funny, we went to break and, and we're looking at our, uh, looking at filling out our paperwork, you know, it's all, it's all Screen Actors Guild stuff, SAG stuff. So we were, you know, union rep, we had to do all this signing and everything. And I look at it and I'm going, hey, this is Ridley Scott uh, Associates. Uh, uh, I think it was called Associates uh, back then. And yeah, RSA. And I asked my lead puppeteer, say, oh, it's Ridley Scott. He goes, yeah, it's not Ridley, though. He's not directing. It's his brother, Tony. And I went, oh, okay. It took about a year later. I went, wait a minute, Tony Scott. Hold on. Hold on. Wait. I've been directed by Tony Scott. I wasn't even aware of it. <laughs> that was a thing. It paid well, but the, as, as all uh, Screen Actors Guild things do, it was, you know, a good rate. We had a good time. Yeah, it's funny. It's like, how does it feel working on a Super Bowl commercial? I think it feels like a very high-budget commercial. I've worked on a Budweiser commercial. It was a similar thing, but I don't think that was set for the Super Bowl. I didn't know it was a, it was a Super Bowl commercial until, you know, hey, I the see. commercial's going on the Super Bowl. I was like, oh, that's very cool. So, yeah. So, so yeah, I did, I did not know. In fact, I think that Budweiser commercial was supposed to be uh, Super Bowl. We had a bunch of people from the ad agency that had their own little special area. They do this when you do commercials. They have their kind of hangout area, and they put up monitors for them and treat them better than the performers. And uh, they're because they're just executives or people from their office. And these guys are tossing a football back and forth and and and, and annoying us. And uh, you know, and often at inappropriate times, it's like you're interrupting a take if you don't mind. But that Budweiser commercial actually never made it to air, which made me a little bit sad because it, it was a pretty cool commercial. It was a guy, it was a guy fighting a vacuum cleaner for his <laughs> beer. So that one never, that one never hit air. Maybe there's potential. Maybe <laughs> sitting in a shelf somewhere. Oh, maybe I'll get my. Need to sign some petitions. Somewhere. Yeah, give us the vacuum commercial. Yeah, do the guy fighting the vacuum cleaner for his beer. Yeah. It was funny because we we did all these rigs where you had the guy wrapped up in the hose and throwing him across the room and, you know, fighting it behind a couch. And oh, It sounds like hilarious. something that Sam Raimi would have directed. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? I don't remember who directed that one. Oh, that would yeah. be so cool if they did do it. <laughs> that would also be great because then I, I SAG just found me and, and apparently I've got residuals waiting. So. Paul, um, I know you've done a lot of different things yes. in you know your storied career, but mm. what's one of your favorite stories? <laughs> oh, I have a few of them. Gosh, how far back should I go? My 
Well, one fun one was working on Batman Returns. Uh, we had penguins, and they had we had animatronic penguins built by by us, Stan Winston Studios, which which I puppeteered uh, a number of scenes with. When the day on set, they brought the real penguins out. These penguins are hand raised in uh, in England uh, by this this bird uh, sanctuary place that that does this sort of thing. I don't know, sanctuary is not the right word, uh, but they hand raise these penguins from 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 eggs, literally. They had both the, the emperor penguins and, and some of these little blackfoot penguins, which are, by the way, from the south coast of Africa, which is a little funny. But anyway, we had all these penguins and then our puppet penguins. And one day, you know, a couple of us went up to the uh, AD, the assistant director, and said, it's okay if we go, you know, observe the penguins. Said, oh, yeah, go go hang out with them. We want you to, you know, want you to be authentic, you know, learn, learn how they move and stuff. So we go over, and I actually made buddies with uh, this little, he's a little shorter, a little chubbier than the others, which I thought was cute. And he came over to me and I started petting him and he would like nestle into my, into the corner of my arm. And when other penguins would come around, he'd peck at them and, and chase them away. Uh, so I, he became kind of my, my favorite. And whenever they would bring them into stage from, they had a, they had a refrigerated uh, semi trailer that they would, that they could hang out in. And then they had a pool right off the end of that. Mm-hmm. They're, they're treated really well. And then when we go to set, they would grab a whole bucket of, of fish and they would follow, the penguins would follow the trainer into the stage, which was also refrigerated. They would they'd create this little like penguin parade. So we'd always go out and watch that because it was adorable and fun. And I remember a couple of times standing there watching and that little penguin would catch my eye and he'd look at me and he'd, he'd waddle over to me and, and stare at me. And then the, the trainer would go, no, no, this way, this way. And i go, come on, come on. And I'd push him a little bit and then let him go. And he'd walk about another 10 <laughs> steps and then look back at me. <laughs> so so I, I don't know if that was a good or bad thing as far as the trainers are concerned. But Is it Batman true Returns, that while cool. also on the set of Batman uh, Returns, you had hot chocolate with Tim Burton? Indeed. Yes, I did. I was, uh, we were on stage. The stages were refrigerated down to about 35 degrees. And so they had a lot of inside. We had what we call craft services tra- tra- table where you have snacks and things. But inside the stage, we had warm things. So while we were working inside in our jackets and stuff in the middle of summer in L.A., I was I walked up the, the thing and I said, oh, I'm going to have a little hot chocolate. I reached up. It was that instant hot chocolate. I reached up for the hot water. You know, it's on a, on a coffee heater. And another hand was coming up just at the same moment. And <laughs> wow. I looked over. And it was Tim Burton standing there all by himself, no entourage. And I went, oh, uh, here. And he goes, no, 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 you go first. You were ahead of me. I went, you're the director. <laughs> it's really fine. And so he goes, oh, okay. And he, he, he poured up and he poured my mind. And we stood there and, and I asked him, we talked for a little while, asked him how the movie was going and how he felt about it. And he was just the nicest guy. And we stood there and just kind of discussed Batman Returns and filming in general. And, and of course, I was awestruck by the fact that I'm hanging out with Tim Burton. We also played, uh, he came out and played Hacky Sack with us for a little while. We would do that on set, which he, uh, he's not very good at it. But, <laughs> but yeah, it was great. So I had hot chocolate with Tim Burton. That's, it, it was uh, really amazing. And he's so humble. And, like, he never had, like, an entourage or a group around him. He was always kind of on his own. In fact, his, uh, his personal assistant used to hang out with the puppeteers a lot because she had not much else to do. He did not, like, overwork her or anything. It was kind of like he'd send her out occasionally for something and needed for whatever. But for the most part, she was just hanging out. So. Yeah, that was that was pretty cool. Yeah. What advice would you give to people that are interested in starting a career in entertainment? Don't. <laughs> no, you know what? I, I, I got to ask that a lot because, you know, there was a point where I was, uh, you know, pulling down good money and working regular jobs and all that. And people come, how do I get how do I get the business and make money? It's like, don't get in the business to make money. 
if you don't have a passion for it and love it, don't do it because no matter how much you get paid to do it, it's never enough for the amount of work that it takes to do. Do it because you want to. Do it because you love it. Do it because you would do it for free. I think it was Alec Guinness way back in the day said something to the fact that they pay me to wait the acting I do for free. Uh, you know, you spend a lot of time in between jobs. and uh, But if you love it, do it. I mean, just really go for it. But, yeah, it's definitely not something you do because you think you're going to get rich and famous. I mean, people do get rich and famous. They do make tons of money. But but for the most part, Green Actors Guild famously has something like 85% unemployment most of the time. And most of the people who, uh, you know, most of the money made for the Screen Actors Guild is made by 15% of the guild. So, yeah, it's it, and that sounds dire, but it's not. I mean, I don't regret any, any time that I ever had it. But I did do it because I loved it. I did puppet shows when I wasn't getting paid. I did... I did acting when I wasn't getting paid, you know, and, and I took classes and all that. And, uh, I can't imagine doing anything else. Paul, I want to switch gears here. I want to talk about Singapore. I, I've only been once um, when I visited Ron, and we talked about it on a previous episode. Uh, we talked about hawker centers. Really curious about some of the specific foods in Singapore yes. that you love that aren't available in the U.S. Uh, and conversely, what are mm. some foods – in the U.S. that you might miss deeply? Well, foods that I love in, in Singapore, uh, there are quite a few, but I, I'm a big fan of laksa. Laksa is like something I don't think you get in the U.S. Should I describe it for people? It's a, a coconut milk-based noodle soup with uh, spices and uh, and usually seafood, and it's got you know fish cake in it and all kinds of stuff, and it's a kind of indescribable flavor. It's spicy, it's sweet, it's it's salty. It's absolutely fantastic. I love laksa. Um, you know, a lot of things we eat here, it's funny because I ate a lot of Asian food when I was in LA. So a lot of it wasn't that alien to me. Popia, which is a, it's like a, how do I describe it? It's sort of like a, sort of like cross between a spring roll and a, and a Singaporean burrito. <laughs> it's got a lot of like, like veggies and, and, and different uh, flavors all put inside, usually a little bit of shrimp, that sort of thing. It's all rolled up in a very thin, a rice pastry type of uh, type of thing. And their popia is really good. You know, my, my partner's local, so she, she knows all the best local food. So whenever we go out to somewhere. Uh, uh, oh, satay, yeah. Yeah, satay is just, mm, that's so good. So that's skewered meats usually. Uh, the best ones are usually like pork, mutton, and then, of course, there's beef and chicken, which sound more normal to people, but I actually prefer the pork and mutton. There's something about the fat content in that. I think, oh, Ron, sure did we, we ever did. go out for something? I know, I know we, we probably out. went yeah. to um, you, the place that was around the corner, uh, La Passat, yeah. La, La, La Passat, yeah. Any American foods that I really miss? Um yeah, a really good steak. I, I, I've had a few here, but it's few and far between. It. Well, speaking of fat American food, of course, being an LA kid, I, I really miss In and Out Burger. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So in American food, yeah, In and Out Burger, I, I miss that a bit. And the funny thing is, like when I was in when I was living in LA, I ate a lot of sushi, a lot of Japanese food, a lot of Thai food. So when you went out, you were just so, like, oh yeah. And now I've eaten. Now, now I've had Thai food in Thailand. I mean, so Paul, I think we're going to start wrapping things up, but we're going to go to one last question. It's been a tremendous pleasure to have you on and great catching oh, up with you again. 
So here's, I think, one question. Of all the different actors and people in entertainment that you worked with, who's really mm -hmm. kind of stood out as somebody who's very stand-up, who really just kind of surprised you in an amazing way? The number one, I can say this without question, was Mark Hamill. He is the single, I've worked with a lot of really nice, famous people, but he is the single kindest, nicest, most generous actor, performer, uh, just a guy. I have his phone number. He invited me to barbecue, or invited us to barbecue. He's just the nicest guy I've ever worked with. We were on the set of Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back, and uh, he was playing Cockknocker, the giant fist guy. He's hilarious, first of all. It was great because he comes down to our shop when uh, when we were going to mold his hand and all that. And his first thing is he comes and he goes, why are you special effects guys always way out in the middle of nowhere? <laughs> it's always the case. And he said, it's hilarious. He goes, he, he loved it, actually. And then uh, we were talking about stuff. And I forget how the subject of his age came up. But he was talking about movies and things. And he said, yeah, you know, when people ask me how old I am, I tell them I'm 68. That way they think I look really good for my age. Like <laughs> just so so disarming and then so so kind. And and then we were on set sitting around and he, we were just talking. He goes, hey, you guys got to come over to barbecue sometime. I get my phone number here. Give me your phone. And, you know, he gave me his phone number. And uh, we never made it to barbecue, unfortunately. It was it, The schedule wouldn't allow. But uh, Mark Hamill, number one, absolutely. Um other good experiences, way, way back in the 80s, I was working in a movie theater as an assistant manager, and Harry Dean Stanton came in, uh, famous from Aliens and, you know, Pretty in Pink and about a million other things. And uh, I just, I had to, I went up and introduced myself. I said, I don't want to interrupt, you know, Mr. Stanton. And it's, you know, just a pleasure to meet you. I, I'm a big fan of your work. And he was very nice. He asked me my name and, 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 said, and talked to me, like, openly for a few minutes. And then went into his movie. And then uh, I think it was like a year later, I was working at another theater in the same chain. Uh, he came in and I walked up to him and, oh, hi, hi, Mr. Stan. I don't know if you remember. He looked at me like, Paul, right? Wow. Mind, mind blown. And he introduced me to his wife and his kid. And he was just so sweet. So those are the two like top. Uh, but yeah, I've, I've spoken to quite a few famous people who were just, genuinely nice, but I say Mark Hamill is the number one. Well, Paul, I have to say it's been a sincere pleasure to have you on as, oh, as a guest here and our first international guest, no less. Wow. And we're going to definitely have to have you back in the future, but thank you so much. Oh, I would love it. It's been thank a pleasure. You. It's, been, it's been such a pleasure and honor. So great to, to reconnect with you, Ron, and to finally meet you, Al. And I don't know. I just uh, really enjoyed this. Well, happy to have you. Paul, thank, thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Take and, care, uh, you guys. Thank you. We look forward to having you again on soon.